we have a, a saying around here, don't boil the ocean. Um, <laughs> what it means is focus in on what you're trying to accomplish, fail fast and move on. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Payments Innovation Podcast. Really excited to welcome Phil Peters from Radius Bank today. He's here joining us as the uh, EVP and Chief Operating Officer and Head of Institutional Banking. Um, Phil, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. <laughs> Phil, I think our, our, our listeners would love to hear maybe just a quick background about yourself and Radius Bank and uh, what you're up to today. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so my name is Phil Peters, as you mentioned. I have been in the banking industry, both on the global as well as the community banking sector for about 38 years. Um, so quite some time and have seen a massive transition in how banking services are delivered to both consumers and commercial customers. I was at a later point in my career after an acquisition and met the CEO, Michael Butler of uh, Radius Bank. And uh, instead of believing that my career was on the way down, I was excited and invigorated by the thought of moving to a totally digital bank, a conversion from a community bank, and that's who we are. I've been here about four and a half years. We've become a leader in the digital space, named the top online bank by Bankrate for 2020, which puts us in a, you know in good company with some of the other people that they've recognized. Our business is both consumer and retail. We have both the direct business as well as uh, a banking as a service partnership business, which is extremely applicable to our discussion today. Uh, because it leverages an open banking API platform that we've uh, built together with a partner. So I'm thrilled to be here and uh, look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So let's, uh, let's actually move directly into that topic around open banking. I think it's, uh, it's one that we could probably spend the entire podcast talking about. But yeah. um, so <laughs> FIs in the U.S. have been told for years that open banking is coming sooner or later. Uh, most bankers and credit unions regard this with a little bit of trepidation or hesitation. <laughs> um, from their standpoint, the business case for investing in open banking is uncertain, right? When should I do it? Why should I do it? Is the ROI, does it make sense? And so I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Um, what drove your decision as Radius Bank to build an API platform um, and why you decided to embark on this journey um, for investing it and building it yourself versus just buying it? Yeah, it's a great question. And so I think the, the, the key element is, is you, have, you say open banking and it just opens up a Pandora's box, right? <laughs> its definition is so widespread but I think it's the key element of a bank or financial services provider to identify. And that is what element of that am I really looking for? And narrowing it down is what gave us the ability to deliver a quality, timely product that meets the need that we were looking at, right? And we have a, a saying around here, don't boil the ocean. Um, <laughs> and what it means is focus in on what you're trying to accomplish fail fast and move on, but in, in execute on that. So our biggest sort of focus initially out of the box in open banking or API banking was we've been in the what we call the partnership business for quite some time, where we work with financial service providers who are not banks 
they want to deliver banking services to their end users, whether their end users are consumers or whether their end users are commercial customers or small business customers. We had been, been in the business and with every partner, we were building what you would call tunnels between the bank and each of those partners for every service that we were providing to them. It was not as cost effective as we wanted, not a, as efficient and effective, and clearly it took a lot longer to establish the partnership relationship. So you indicated in your opening that it's a build yourself. Well, it's almost a build yourself. So we've partnered like we've done with a lot of companies, fintech companies, a company out of San Francisco called Treasury Prime. So they act as our financial technology partner. And they have built that layer that we have ownership of, of the API entrance into the bank. What it allows us to do is instead of one partner every six months, we currently have 20 partners in the, in the uh, project list, 10 of them active. And what we do is allow them to integrate their APIs into our APIs for both delivery and receipt of exchange of information, allowing them to then deliver through their own platform their banking services, starting with the simple checking account, savings account, activity and, and balance information through payments, through, through mobile capture. So what it's done for us is given us speed to market. It's given us a better quality. It gives us the ability to expand our suite of products that we're giving to those our partners a lot more rapidly than we would have in the past. And then the other key element, and it's a challenge for most banks who have been around as a bank for a while, is most of the legacy bank systems that they're operating on aren't set in an open architecture or an open API environment to be able to do that the same way. So we needed to build that middle layer, and that's our entrance into it. We then took that to a different level. Many of the tech companies we were partnering with said, that's how I want to do my own. So we've expanded it to then offer those APIs to commercial customers who want to move away from traditional online banking services and traditional banking service. They've got their own sort of dashboard within house. They've got their own applications that are doing payments. So instead of moving information from one side to the other and then delivering it to the bank, they're just connected. We built in extensive security measures, and that's become a, a separate business on its own, a, a business I run with a, a sales manager out of Cleveland that covers us on a national basis, and it's picking up momentum and steam as you would. That's amazing. And that's, uh, I would say that's, that's sort of linking onto the trend that has been talked about a lot recently, which is embedded banking, right? Or embedded finance where, you know, banking isn't necessarily always with the traditional bank. It, it, it is where your customers are, which is often your website, your app, your, your own customer experience and embedding that into it. And it's fantastic to see that Radius has evolve with the times in seeing what what is it that people actually need? What does that customer experience really need to be? And how can we do what we do best and deliver that, um, which is fantastic. So yeah, and so we've taken another look at it too, Clara. Many of the companies that we partner with that are delivering to their own customer base, but most banks would look at them and say, well, you're enabling a competitor. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but there's 
there's enough deposit business in this country alone to go around. And if you have what the consumer wants as far as a delivery mechanism, that's your way to get to it. And if we can share in our market, share the growth of our market share through the growth of their market share, it just only increases our deposit base because it's, you know, it's a bank deposit. Yeah. And the same thing on the small to mid-sized business, which a number of our partners are in that business as well. It's a huge business. It's untapped. And there's tremendous growth for everybody. So we don't mind sharing <laughs> and being a valuable partner to them and able their ability to deliver to their customers. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, you, you have to rethink the model these days, right? I think looking at the consolidation already that's been happening in the community banking space, it's really difficult for a smaller community bank to have that great of a reach um, by, by going about the old model, right? By just scooping up everyone within their geographical area and building more branches. And so um, I think that, that you're the leaders of the pack when it comes to innovation there. Oh, yeah. go ahead. oh, no, go ahead. I would love to hear I your comments. Say it, it really, I mean, give credit where credit's due. It was a vision of Mike Butler and our uh, head of virtual bank, Chris Fremont, you know, to, before I even arrived here, to move the bank and close our branches in New York and close all of our branches in the Boston marketplace and commit to it. And I think that that's the difference between us and some others is that Offering digital banking as a complement to your branch banking is not the same as doing a digital bank. It adds a tremendous amount of risk because technology goes down, we're closed. So it really means that we focus in on our technology, our uptime and delivery. But we always say that if we develop a business partnership with one of these clients and they develop a $25 million portfolio. Do you know how long it takes the average traditional branch to get there? I mean, everybody's target's usually 40 million over like five or six years, right? Yeah. And then we've already gone through 10 generations of that client base. And, you know, we're not competing against eight other banks around that corner in downtown, yeah. you know, middle America or anywhere. And it's allowed yeah. us to expand our, network to become a national bank. And, and that's, I think the other thing to think about there too is the cost that it would take, right? To acquire that an asset in the traditional way, right? Everyone's doing a lot of the same marketing activities. And, and so it allows you to spend that money that you normally spend on marketing to actually invest in the technology, let the brands do what they do best, which is, is collect the, uh, the, the users. And then you, you benefit mm -hmm. from that and it creates scalability. So that's great. And, and one other note that you, you actually kind of got onto my next point, which was, uh, what got you to take that leap? And it sounds like leadership and vision were two of the largest things there. Um, I would love to, though, hear maybe if you have a couple, as they say, war stories. But I mean, what were some of the challenges? And I mean, it, it sounds like taking that risk and just the, the sleepless nights, I'm sure, of uh, day to day. But any other challenges or um, other learnings that you could share uh, in that journey? Sure, absolutely. Um, but to your first point, it is commitment. So if, if, you can't have this be successful without board and executive management support, right? Everybody has to buy into the model and agree on it. From people in compliance not being no first, but being how, creating tremendous collaborative relationship with the regulators. 
we're, we're, we're regulated by regulations that might be a little bit even older than me um, <laughs> and aren't built for the way we do banking today. So we're extremely forthcoming and diligent about identifying risk and communicating that in what we're going to do to the regulators. No surprises, not ask for permission, but no surprises. Right? When they come in here and do an exam, they may find something about what we're doing, but they know what we're doing. Yeah, I think that um, you know some of the, the traditional thinking might be some of the lessons learned, right? That uh, Mike has a great saying that says, you know, throw away your notebook once in a while if you've been banking for a while, right? <laughs> Don't think about what you're doing. We ran down the path originally in a traditional project management function, right? So anybody that's done that, and myself as a head of product management at a larger you know, $60 billion bank, it takes forever. And <laughs> so we shifted, moved actually some of the folks that were doing project management to different functions and brought people in who were agile certified, and we run it that way. And I think that was a key lesson. We advanced so much in that year, the second year of our, our journey, I would say, when we shifted to that approach, right? The other is understanding the legacy systems aren't going to be with that. Yep. So we talked about partners. We have what we call two types of partnerships. Who helped us get down this journey? Treasury Crime, of course. A company called Mantle out of New York City, yeah. who was one of our first fintech partners. We met the two young founders a long time ago, um, and we built an online account opening product with them along with an additional partner called Alloy, who is the decision engine partner, if you will. If you can open a, an account with us in less than three months, and yeah. it is absolutely extraordinary. They've been extremely successful. have raised a couple of rounds and uh, have a real successful business in developing and selling that to, to community and, and regional banks. Um, another one is NARMI, our online banking yeah. uh, partner, who helped us get that uh, certification from Bankrate. And uh, Mikhail and his team have been exceptional in, in working with us. We're sometimes challenging to work with because we aren't a bank. Uh, <laughs> we're demanding and we are forward thinking. And we don't want to replicate what others have. We want to really develop what people are looking for. And that's a clear difference in the small to middle micro businesses, those folks want to bank like they bank personally. So all of the commercial banking platforms are built to deliver something that's more commercial. Yeah. I don't know if my consumer account looks like this. Why, why can't my commercial account look like that? <laughs> so, so that was a lesson learned that we, we really needed to focus in on leveraging fintech companies and their technologies working together as partners as opposed to vendors. It's a cliche, I know, but it works. Yeah. Um, if you find the right ones and getting past that helped us advance tremendously. That's really interesting. And um, you mentioned a lot of partners that, um, that I've, I've been aware of in the industry for a while, and, but, but most of them are relatively new, right? Uh, it, you know, some long, been around longer than others, but maybe if you could quickly comment on, on that process of 
taking that leap and saying, you know what? Yes. Okay. They've only been around for a couple of years, but they have the right product that we need. How do you think about working with fintechs that might be, um, you know, still relatively new in the marketplace? Do you have any advice for fintechs that are looking for those bank partnerships? And because I imagine, you know, you mentioned maybe we could be hard, but that's probably a great thing for them, right? Because they're learning how to work with a bank where they might not have done that before. So, yeah, I think that there are a lot of lessons learned in, in, our first and foremost criteria is culture, right? Do they fit with us culturally? Are we going to be able to go down the path to have constructive, maybe not agreeing conversations that lead to a better place for both of us? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be just building something to sell or do they have a vision? Um, you know, we're also, we're, you know, we're risk mitigating company. We are very mindful of the, the, the risk factor. So we are we usually uh, know their investors and we know who their partners are. In the case of Mantle, we were their first customer. Yeah. So I think that the, um, the advice for the fintech was some advice and that is understand that what the bank brings to the table is more than maybe what they're going to pay you. And it's what they can give you in valuable information about operating in a regulatory environment. The challenges of integrating, you may be introducing a new technology delivery, but it's connecting to a legacy core. So there's a lot to learn. And I think the willingness of both parties to learn from each other and trust each other is a key, uh, the key ingredients to being able to put it together. Um, and you got to believe in their product, right? Do they, yeah. do they understand and do, how do they present themselves? Yeah. Do they have a strong business plan? And, you know, the ones that we've chosen to partner with so strongly have come to the table with that and have proven it in the long run. That makes sense. That's great advice too. I think learning how to operate in that regulatory environment in a way that will allow you to scale and, and thinking about, you as the partner as well, not just as a customer, and that you're going to bring so much more to the table than just the revenue, right? Even though that is important, of course, just starting fintech. But <laughs> well, I think the other piece of it too is bringing it to the table is also, you know, if you're fortunate, not everybody's a digital bank that's going to make a decision like us, right? If your intent is to sell into the community bank market, you know, working with us helped them to understand the decision process within a community bank, right? Even a small regional bank, the decision-making is a lot more difficult. What can they do to help convince a board to allow the bank to sign a contract with a company that has no other customers, right? No other company, no other board before us that I had ever worked with would have even entertained. As a matter of fact, the senior manager would have never brought it to them because they would have been afraid of what they might have heard. So learn from them and understand about how that decision is made and what you can do to sort of move it along and get it to be made. That's great. Yeah. And uh, that kind of sparked another thought that I had and it ties it back into what we were talking about open banking before. You mentioned tying into sort of the legacy core system. And I've, I've seen different banks take different approaches here around do we keep sort of the infrastructure we have, but build sort of that API layer on top? Do we come do a complete rehaul 
how did you guys make that decision? Um, was it sort of a speed to market thing? Do you have thoughts around, do you think the, the, the industry will go towards the more open core model or that this API layer will probably be the thing that most people adopt? Like, how do you see that? And I don't know if you have oh, thoughts around it yet, but <laughs> we, do have, we have thoughts around everything. Though, so, um, so every year when we take a look at our technology roadmap and when we built the first one in, like I believe it was like September of 2016 when we, before we met Mantle and before we met Treasury Prime, you know, core comes up all the time, especially from, you know, the COO who owns the core <laughs> and has to deliver from it and has to integrate to it. Um, you know, but the decision and a lot of influence again from, you know, our, our leader, Mike Butler, and pushing us to really think about what, what's the timing around a new core? What's the cost around a new core? Because if you're doing that, you're not going to be doing any of the other things on our technology roadmap, right? Yep. So we've challenged, and then it was, what's out there for alternative cores from the one we have? And is the, the time, the pain, and it is painful to convert a core, and the cost worth the additional functionality you may get or the user experience and user interface. And we had not found it. We then were introduced when we revisited that in 17 and 18 and 19 to newer core providers, right? And there's a few of them out there. And we've talked to them all, all with great platforms. Yeah. However, many of them go down a path of delivering a consumer solution. And we're a full service tank. We have yeah. a commercial loan portfolio. You know, I run three cores as it is, oh. two separate lending cores plus a main core. Can you imagine what it would be like running two <laughs> deposit cores? It would be more painful than a conversion. So we've said to them, you know, until we see the core that makes us say we're willing to take that leap, you know, it'll be a discussion every year, it'll be a challenge every year. Uh, and I'm sure it will come. I really do. I believe in many of these new cores that are coming out. The concept is there. It's what's behind that concept. Uh, many of them have faced Focus on the user interface, which is really critical to the banks, where all their people touch it. And the inter integration to like the online banking system and so forth. But it's the guts of it. It's creating one that has a complex commercial loan system that can look at real estate loans or CNI, or in our case, leasing loan, the leasing business or our yacht lending business. Right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. um, um, so I think it's a challenge. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's like the key thing that people need to think about, right. Is, is the, again, build by partner at what point, what's the ROI analysis. Um, but that's, that's an interesting thought. So I want to go back to the thought of embedded banking and embedded finance. Cause that I think is uh, really interesting. And we're just sort of in the, the beginning stages of really seeing that become a massive trend and a massive adoption in, in North America. So the one thing that I think it scares a lot of people is that, well, are we just going to have 10 banks in, North, in the US, right? And what is banking going to look like in the future? Do we think that this will create sort of the commoditization of banking? Or do we think the banks that do it right will still be able to have, um, you know, higher margins than some of the ones that aren't, aren't being quite as, you know, digitally forward? Um, I think another interesting thing is looking at who owns 
the, the process. There's a lot of M&A happening, right? Um, and so uh, I know that's a lot I threw at you, but I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. You know, what do you think the future of banking looks like? Is yeah. it going to be more providers, less? <laughs> well, it's a great question. You talk about a long conversation. We could, uh, <laughs> we could go on for that one for quite some time. I, I think we've seen a taste of it with some of the data aggregators already, right? So it scares a lot of people and it scares the regulators, right? I think we've already seen bank consolidation. I think it'll be interesting to see, are there gonna be fewer or are there gonna be more? Because we've got, we've got a few charters that have been recently um, issued. You've got companies like us that are in the process of getting regulatory approval to be the first bank to match up with a tech company, with lending club, right? So I'm, I don't know if we're going to see that automatic consolidation to a small number at some time very soon, or it's going to be what comes out of this to determine what does the bank look like. Yep. Are there traditional community banks with brick and mortar still existing? I don't see them going away for some time, but how long? And, and then defining what that new bank is. I think people... In, particular bankers as well as individuals love the concept, love seeing it happen in Europe, right? But then when your 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 information's out there, you know, people get worried, right? Yep. And uh, I think banks are afraid how do they maintain their customers, right? Mm-hmm. And you got back to, you know, is it the margins? You know, we have two major focuses and, and it all leads from the number one which we haven't even talked about we're so different than other banks and we're a liability generator first right so most banks especially commercial banks will go out and generate assets yep. and from those asset relationships they drive deposits our asset generation is driven by key businesses that have lower risk maybe lower returns so Mike has another great term, and it is um, margin makes you sick, but credibility, right? <laughs> so um, so we, we, we understand they may be fairer margins, but our quality of our assets, you know, are, is more important. And they're a complement to let us leverage the liabilities and deposits that we generate, right? So our focus is more on that. We don't charge fees, right? And we're not going to charge fees. So I don't think it's come come around the fee side. I think it's going to come around things you mentioned like effectiveness of inefficiencies, right? Cost effectiveness. We model everything that we do to to look at cost to acquire, cost to maintain, and it makes us very different from the traditional, you know, deposit generator. And uh, I think that's where we differentiate ourselves there. I'm not seeing that our model is the right model that it works for us. I just think to your initial question, not to start it, I think it's too early to tell. Yeah. Would be my answer, right? That it's, um, we haven't even seen what this new generation of financial services provided, providers is going to look like. How many of them, how many more of them will become banks with their own charter or, or through partnership? Um, and how many will continue to look for a bank like us to be able to be the back engine and let us deal with who it is that uh, the regulators, right? Yep. And I, going back to your a question earlier that I might, might have missed and mentioned, 
one of the things that we do when we, we look at a business partner is they have to respect our charter. Because yep. at the end of the day, that's it's our charter and anything that happens. So we are very cautious about their understanding of their requirements and our ability to just say we have to shut down if we, if we do it, right? So it's yep. an important element in that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that is part of the risk that you're taking, right? That you talked about. I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, you've clearly put some very robust controls in place. You have a a very robust, um, you know, selection process for your partners, as well as your own screening process around making sure that Mm -hmm. they're doing what they said they were going to do. But at the the end of the day, you can't be sitting over their back necessarily looking at everything they're doing, right? On a day-to-day basis. You need to make sure you make, you know, we are allowed to audit them. You know, it brought up another topic that we haven't even touched on. Yeah. That has become our number one, and not only us, but any bank that's out there, cybersecurity, right? Mm-hmm. So it, especially through this COVID experience. So when you talk about open banking and you talk about, you know, the idea of data being flow, flowing outside in an open marketplace, it, it, it's extremely frightening. It's probably the number one thing on my mind every evening when I go to bed. Is, I was about know, to ask you that. <laughs> are we protected, right? And who's trying to penetrate, right? So again, reliance on good uh, vendor partners uh, who have the monitoring systems along with our own, you know. So cybersecurity, you know, was a thing for banks a while ago. It is the thing. I think most of the publications and conversations people have been having with bank CEOs, that's the number one thing that comes up is the concern around cyber security. And you've heard about, you know, breaches already. You've heard about another one that costs a lot of money. Um, And it's unfortunate. So it's a reminder. And it's probably why I'm so great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is something that really it's it's so important, and you're right. It 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 affects everyone. Um, but like you said, picking the right partners who, what they do day in and day out is think about cybersecurity. You know, there's never a zero risk there. But it's great that you're you're evaluating those partners to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. And then, um, so one other question for you before we wrap up. What are you most excited about? I mean, so I think what you just mentioned was too early to tell, right? We're just, I think, kind of at the beginning of this this fun wave that we're riding uh, of fintech and, you know, which way, you know, does it become the partner banks or bank charters? Who wins, who loses? I guess, A, what are you most excited about and what kind of gets you um, up in the morning, right? And then the second is, who do you think the winners will be? I mean, right, because I think a lot of traditional banking, we all know what that looks like, right? But I think there's a couple of areas that have been interesting to see these new fintechs come out in, right? So you mentioned small, small and mid-sized business banking, um, real, a lot of focus on that, which has kind of been untapped. Um, I think the underbanked or unbanked is another place. Same with, um, you know, banking for uh, immigrants as well. And so yep. I'm curious, what, what, what do you think will be sort of one of the, 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 the biggest trends? And then what are you most excited about as those two questions? Sure. So yeah. trends, I think, is a little easier, right? So what I, yeah. at least what we've seen in, in sort of our target market in, in the acquirer in our world is cross-sell is a little harder, right? And it, it, right? So it's not that I don't necessarily want to buy everything from the same place. I want to buy the best thing right, from the right place, right? So it's not unusual for them to have an account with Acorn that 
Doesn't mean they have to have the checking account there, right? And they, they're probably going to go to Quicken Loans and Rocket Mortgage to get a, a mortgage, right? So if you look at our product offering, it's, it's limited and it's aimed at what we do best, right? Yep. Which is offer a deposit plan. Yep. Now, is that to say that we haven't considered and, and look at who we're partnering with? We believe consumer lending on, on the sort of digital side and even small business lending on the digital side is, is right and ready to go, right? We happen to be in a bad economic cycle, but once we come out, we feel strongly about that. And we've looked at it. I think that the consumer today that's acquiring within our marketplace and our focus is more likely to select multiple providers rather than look for that basket with a lot of pieces of it. And it gives them the ability to buy by price, buy by quality, based on their desire to acquire, right? As opposed to them. As far as the winners are concerned, this this room for a lot of winners, right? <laughs> I think you already see a lot of, I mean, you only hear about, you know, it's like sort of, I'll use a sports analogy, right? <laughs> golf, golf, golfers, professional golfers. Ask people that probably can name 20, but there's hundreds, <laughs> right? And, and they're all making a living, right? The other part is a lot of them fail. And there have been a lot of startups that have not moved, right? They have a great concept and they might've been hit by economic times. They might've, their you know, funding dried up, but the winners are going to be those who can adapt to change, have a real good pulse of who they're targeting and what is it that creates their willingness to, to buy from them or to invest. It very well could be, look at the large, large things, right? the chases of the world, the money they're investing in digital banking just lets you know that they understand as well as anybody the value of that of them retaining as much as acquiring, right? So I think the other part is, is I think retaining deposits in relationships is going to become just as critical as acquiring the new business, right? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's always more expensive to, yeah, it's always more expensive to acquire a customer, right? Than to, to maintain. So that makes, that makes complete sense. Yeah. It's the same answer I gave earlier. And that is, I think we're early in the cycle. I'm really excited about what we're seeing from regulators opening their minds and making change. We all wish it would happen faster, but I think it's an indication of their sensing what you and I are seeing and what others are seeing, and that is it's a, a, an evolutionary change that's being advanced rapidly, I think, by the current economic environment due to COVID, and it's not just the U.S., right? This is a global issue, and it's changing the way people bank and work in general around the world, and I think it's advancing you know, what we're talking about and what we're doing faster than we even have yeah, no, absolutely. And we, we definitely see that. And I think, um, you know, it, it was interesting. We were all like, as, as, you know, currency cloud, not to speak about us too much, but yep. you know, what, what was COVID and what was this current economic time going to do to, to the world business? And if anything, it's, it's actually only increased the volumes that we're seeing because of the digitization of the world. They're forced, people are forced to now make payments more in a more automated way. And, um, you know, that's one reason we're excited to be working with Radius as well. And so, uh, I mean, well, thank you, you can talk about payments. 
Right? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, there are, I mean, we've got a number of, you know, partnerships on the sort of financial services side that I would be, I'd be upset at myself for not mentioning, but the likes of Brett's yeah. is one of our biggest partnerships out on the West Coast and, and you know, globally. And their, their vision in that small business and the credit side of it and working with us to provide, you know, a deposit account or the likes of a company called North One who, you know, is servicing the small to mid business with a lot of what we talked about from the technology side. And, and these companies, you know, are seeing things differently than sort of the traditional bank and where sort of the investments in business is coming from, right? Yeah. You know, the small business is really being driven by technology, whether it be FinTech or biotech, but it's where the, where the new companies are coming from and where the jobs yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exciting stuff. So, well, any other thoughts before we wrap up here? Well, I think that uh, we could talk about this subject and, and <laughs> subjects that lead into it for, for days. And I do appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today yeah. and look forward to our relationship with Currency Club. They're not been running for a while now. It's uh, driven by a lot of our partnerships and their need to do, you know, the payment side of the business more effectively and cost effectively. Um, and it's driving down the use of payments to, you know, small and mid-sized companies and expanding it into the global market. So it's really exciting. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Phil. Really appreciate you being on today and uh, we'll look forward to having this release and uh, having your talk out there in the interwebs. <laughs> but uh, thank you again. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.